Hello, and welcome to this episode of Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio. Our guest this week is Lazarus Tamana, and he's an organic turmeric farmer in the Niger Delta. He's helping a movement which is for the survival of the Angoni people there in Nigeria. He's also the director of Lebug Farms Limited. In just a moment, he's going to be with us and tell us all about some of the challenges they're facing there and the work that they're doing. This is Heartstock. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with Lazarus. Welcome once again to Heartstock Radio, and our guest today is Lazarus Tamana, and he's doing some pretty amazing work in Nigeria. He's working with the Angoni people and the movement for their survival there, and he's the director of Libug Farms. He's himself a turmeric farmer, an organic turmeric, however you like to pronounce that, Hello, Lazarus, and thank you so much for being on Heartstock. Thank you so much, Carol, for having me this morning on the radio. <laughs> We're very excited to share your story. Can you give our listeners just a little introduction as to uh, the movement that you're involved with and your farming there? Yeah. The movement for the survival of the Kuni people, Mossop, was formed in 1990 to resist the pollution levels that we were experiencing from the fossil fuel companies, particularly Shell, because their actions of taking away our means of livelihood as subsisted farmers and fishermen. So the movement was formed to stand and fight against the heavy pollution from the oil companies. I first heard and learned of some of the environmental devastation. Rachel Maddow wrote a book called Blowout, where she really talks about some of these issues. And I was really saddened. (laughs) Can you tell us just a little bit more about the impacts, both socially and economically, that the oil companies have had in Nigeria and specifically where you're trying to um, make a living in, in farm and, like you said, live, live in your more traditional ways? It has been very, very difficult for the good people and the people of the Niger Delta to operate their ways of life in terms of survival. The Ogun people are mainly subsistent farmers and fishermen, and we, we depend on the land, we depend on the rivers for our existence. But when these oil companies came, they completely destroyed the environment with the result that our fish stocks and the land where we plant all our crops were destroyed, were damaged. And 
This has created a lot of problems in our society. The disease that came with it, our drinking water has been affected. The food chain was also affected. In fact, in some places, suits, black suits from the hydrocarbon pollution are falling on the ground in Ogoni land. And this has created a lot of problems for my people over the years. So because we are farmers, because we are fishermen, not big time farmers, not industrial farmers, but subsistence farmers, it actually affected us a lot as a result of what they have done. So is this largely the pollution that you're experiencing from oil spills or oil refining? Yeah, yes. Um, oil spills, their pipes um, that have been broken, their operations that have been leaking oil are the cause of all these things. And the gas flaring that goes up in some places 24 hours a day mm. has created all these things we are saying. Let's talk about your personal journey. Were you always a subsistence farmer yourself? Are you self-taught? Is it handed down wisdom from generation to generation? I know that you mentioned earlier that you're in London. Did you go to school in London? Yes, what actually happened um, was that my grandfather was a fisherman. My grandmother was a farmer. My mother also a farmer. My father was a school teacher. So that was the environment where I grew up. And then I left Nigeria in 1977 and went to former Yugoslavia to, do, to study marine science from where I came to London in 1980 to continue the studies. And ever since then, I have that ties with London. I stay most of the time in Nigeria, but come to London occasionally now to do campaigns, maybe a month, two months, and go back to Nigeria. At what point in your personal history did the environmental damage begin? Was this during your parents, grandparents, or your generation? And um, what have you witnessed over time as far as being a, a marine scientist? What have you witnessed from a, a scientist's perspective? Yes, I grew up, when I grew up, I saw the pollution myself. Um, where my house is, is about less than one quarter of a mile to the coasts. And we used to finish primary school and run to the creek to catch big fish with our hands after school. But I could see the pollution continuing and we couldn't do that anymore. That was what was actually happening. And when I saw these things, I decided to do marine science to address some of these issues myself. But I didn't know that it was bigger than that. But these are the things that I grew up with. Pollution was everywhere. 
who have been some of your greatest influences as you've kind of experienced this journey in life? And you mentioned it was it was bigger than just not being able to catch fish like you did as a child with your hands. I'd like to kind of touch upon this. Can you can you speak more about it being bigger than than just not being able to catch fish as a child? Yes. The complaint that my grandparents and my even my great grandparents had was the presence of the pollution in the environment. And the oil companies and the Nigerian government were just not doing anything about it. Nigerian government was earning money from it, and Shell was equally making so much money from it. So that was even then the mainstay of Nigeria. Nigeria was depending on oil and that. So they didn't do anything about it. So it affected the communities where they were operating. Everything was relating to pollution. As I said, our food chain was affected. The entire environment was affected. The air was also charged with hydrocarbon pollution and all that. So it was that bad. Mm. Very little has happened in spite of our 32 years of campaigning. Shell is not listening. We raise this issue that the climate change that we are talking about today was raised by the Ogun people 32 years ago. And people didn't know that what happened in the Niger Delta affects Europe and other places. But it is happening now. So I'm wondering, you mentioned a lot of money being made. <laughs> But I'm I'm guessing, maybe incorrectly, that the benefits of this huge amount of money that was being generated made, the benefits were not being experienced by the average everyday citizens of Nigeria. Where did the money all go? The communities were not seeing the money. There were no developments from the money coming to the communities, apart from maybe basic secondary school which hasn't got much in it in terms of amenities of schools that you have probably have in the West here, like these things that I see in London here. So the people at the headquarters in Abuja or Lagos are those who control these things and leave us to enjoy the pollution. We don't see the money. We don't know what they are using the money for. Only what we see and, and have in our communities, even up to now, is debt as a result of poisonous gases, poisonous oil spills that has killed a lot of our people and continue to kill them. You know, so the money that the, the proceed of this thing doesn't come to us. We don't know how it is managed. And create kind of a timeline for us, if you can, as far as farming and Libug farms, at what point in your journey did you first envision this? And where are you at currently as far as progress and development of your enterprise? What actually happened was that I was the head of campaign here in London 
for the Ogoni campaign in the 1990s and 2000. After we drove the former head of state to death, Abacha, Nigeria decided to practice democracy. So a lot of people decided to go home. That was 1999 when they started this journey on um, civilian rule and that. And I said to myself, no, I don't want to be part of their politics, that I will always work with the activists and the community and to see what I can do. And the nearest thing that came to my mind was farming. I decided that I was going to initiate that and then bring on board other activists for us to make something out of farming for ourselves. And that was how this thing started. And who were your partners? How did you get it off the ground? What, and what year was that? We, we looked at these things around 2015. And then by 2018, we started the farming. And first, our first produce was done by 2019. So after that, we now had a break and reviewed the entire process and went on again from 2020. We have just finished planting and then we will be harvesting January next year. January next year. Excellent. We're going to dive more deeply into your farming enterprises here in just a moment. We're going to take our quick Midway Point Break, and we shall be right back. This is Heartstock. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Daniel Hogan is in the studio, and we're speaking with Lazarus Tamana, who is an organic turmeric farmer in the Niger Delta. We'll be right back. Again, this is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Today, we're speaking with Lazarus Tamana, and we were just talking about the launch of Libug Farms. Is this like a, um, oh, in the United States, uh, we would call it a cooperative? Is this a, a farmer's cooperative? Can you kind of help us understand how it's structured and how you designed yes. it from the beginning? From the beginning, um, there were other cooperatives, but this is my own business. We have other cooperatives who are planting other things. I am planting turmeric and other crops like maize uh, and pepper and that, but not on the large scale as I am doing turmeric. Turmeric, I have just planted turmeric on four hectares of land, which we are going to harvest next year. 
That is how it started. Mm -hmm. And how many years, once you plant it, how many years does it take for it to be harvestable? It takes just seven to eight months. So have you slowly been increasing the hectares of land that you've planted? What's the business model for both the cooperatives in your business? Well, the cooperatives have got other plants that they are they are they are planting, like ginger, like black pepper, and other things and that. But it's the same kind of pattern, you know. The duration, some of these things take about three months, four months to for harvest to start. And others take longer, like ginger is just the same period like turmeric. But like pepper, you harvest those earlier. Okra, you harvest it earlier as well. Likewise, corn. Corn, you also harvest it um, much, much earlier than what you do in turmeric. So we set out these things. Each of those cooperatives have their own specific areas where they do it and that. And it is helping the activists to be independent of government and the oil companies. At least they are able to grow this thing to feed their families and have some little reserves for themselves, which is good. Instead of sitting down and then you are being colonized by the government because you don't have anything doing. I don't understand that. Can you help us understand a little bit more when you say colonized? So there's... You have yes. land reserves we, that are allotted to your people and other people are moving in. Is that what's happening? No. What, what is happening is that the oil companies are intimidating the activists and in some areas giving them peanuts to throw their line. That is, they give them some little jobs to do because they don't have anything doing with the result that the resistance is becoming weaker when we lose activists to the oil companies. Mm. But with this, with this green revolution, we call it, Mossop, activists are able to stand up firmly against the activities of government and the oil companies. They go to their farm anytime they like, Harvest their crops or plant it anytime they like. They, they, like a kind of independence. Mm-hmm. They don't depend on government for anything whatsoever and all the oil companies, which is good for our campaign. So I'm wondering, um, knowing what we, ne- we know about Delta regions, they tend to be extremely fertile, prone to times of flooding. How are you able to farm on damaged lands, especially farm organically? I would imagine this is challenging. Yes, extremely very challenging. Most of the areas that are heavily polluted are along the coastal lines. The hinterland of Ogoni are not as that polluted. So we are planting in the hinterland where there is less pollution. And you could see 
we don't we use minimum quantity of manure to make um, the turmeric grow much better and have good harvest. If not, you just plant it like that and it grows without any difficulty. As far as you water it, that's it. You know, we don't we don't apply fertilizer or any of the pesticide or or that type of a thing. No, we don't. And as far as building out your markets, finding folks that are willing to purchase the extra production, what was that like? How did you do that? Well, right now we are just testing the market because um, we, we this is the second production we are we are doing, and we are testing the market. Domestic market is all right. And a lot of people are interested. But the international market, the export market that will give us more foreign exchange is a little bit challenging because there are other tests we need to do. There is what they call NABDAC in Nigeria. You must have to test your product and get certification from that body before you can export. That is why we are ex- what we are doing right now, we are experimenting everything and doing all the necessary tests and get it ready for export. So it is challenging. And also to get buyers outside Nigeria is also a bit of a difficulty for us right now. We have not been able to secure big buyers who would buy these things in large quantity. In your overseas markets, do you have any domestic markets that you're tapping into? Yes, domestic market is there. It's okay, although turmeric is relatively new in the Nigerian market, but they are responding because it has got about 25 benefits of turmeric, you know. So people are beginning to understand the usefulness of it, and they are responding in Nigeria. So we have that domestic market that is there, but it is the export market that we have not been able to secure um, those buyers. Mm-hmm. So we have probably have about five minutes left. And in this time, maybe you could mention some of the the partners or organizations that might be helping you along this journey. Are they international or are you getting a lot of support there locally? The, the support we are getting is just local support. We initiated this thing uh, in the face of difficulties um, so that we don't, you know, um, it so that it will be easier for us to get out of the period of starvation, if you like to call it that, and 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 so on. We have not got, n- not yet got, gotten any 
and outside support that we would like to have. And as I said, this is an at infancy right now. We are just starting, and then gradually we expect that in the near future we should be able to get support and also market, you know, to channel this product to. Mm-hmm. And locally, can you share with us um, who those partners are and how they've been able to help in your efforts? Yeah, the, the locally, um, the support we are having is from the Mossop angle, um, the activists and some other local people who are actually supporting us and, and encouraging us to do it because it is of benefit to the community benefit to the individuals and that. So those are the ones that we are working with right now. Mm -hmm. And for um, all those listeners out there who are kind of puzzled and baffled (laughs) as to why, you know, all this money is being made, um, you know, that seems to me like the, uh, the largest motivation for not cracking down on the environmental damage. In Rachel's book, she talks a lot about certain, you know, a, a small, small portion of the elites making huge amounts of money. Do you ever see that turning around? I mean, I know that there's, oh, there's a lot of activism going on. Even you know, currently, there's I've listened to BBC, and there's a lot going on in Nigeria. What do you see? the future holding for your movement and for cleaning up the environment? Well, the the polluters of the environment are not yet ready to clean the environment. If they clean the environment, everyone will be happy and we go about our normal business. But they are not ready. Shell is not ready to spend money to clean the environment that they polluted. Um, in 2014, when I interacted with one of them, they said that that was when the UNEP report came out. There was a United Nations environmental report that came out in 2011. And 2014, I confronted Shell to ask them what they are going to do about this report, because the report recommended that they should provide emergency measures to alleviate the poverty level of the people by providing clean drinking water, um, some basic amenities in hospitals and all those things. And she said, no, they are not going to do it. You know, they have the money to do. They are not going to do it. And the Nigerian federal government could not compel them to do it. And they are those who polluted the environment. So the campaign is ongoing. We are holding them to account for all this devastation. In fact, in 2014, we took them to court in London and we won the case against Cher hmm. in 2014. Yeah, and, and still yet, here we are. Unfortunately, we've run out yes. of time. And um, there's a lot, a lot more to talk about on this subject. But um, thank you so much for sharing your story and the work that you're doing. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Carol. 
Thank you for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And this is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. As usual, we shall be back next week. Until then, peace. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. And on the sign it no trespassing, but on